Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. If you pulled out the newspaper last week and looked at the headlines about President-elect Biden's nominee for Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, there was this unmistakable air of celebration to a lot of the coverage. Paul Krugman wrote a column he called In Praise of Janet Yellen. A Politico morning newsletter simply exclaimed, It's Yellen! with an exclamation point for effect. And The Economist called the pick genius. I think Yellen is well-liked, right? Like, she's just like kind of a, she is a generally likable human being. Jordan Weissman covers the economy for Slate. Even her quirks are kind of adorable. Like, she she shows up everywhere absurdly on time or early. So, like, the, you know, when the Wall Street Journal did her, its piece about her, it featured a picture of her being the only person in the room at the White House Correspondence Center because she was the first person to get there, like, a half hour before anyone else arrived. Um, <laughs> you know, like, she's just, like, absurdly punctual and prepared, and people like her. Yellen is familiar, too. She's already been the chair of the White House Council of Economic Advisors and chair of the Fed. Becoming Treasury Secretary would be like winning the triple crown of economic civil service. She is the first person to hold all three of those jobs. She was clearly a really talented economist who ran into a lot of glass ceilings and just sort of found her way around them. Right. I mean, it's so the funny thing about Jenny Yellen is that She's actually part of an economics power couple, right? So she's married to a Nobel Prize winner, and she's probably the more powerful, important economist in the couple at this point. But Jordan says there's something else that's notable about Yellen, an evolution that's happened all around her. Over the last week, as Biden named economist after economist to guide the country out of our financial crisis, all these people seem to share an ethos. They all sort of have a very vocal commitment to making sure everyone who wants a job can get a job, that the United States reaches full employment, that we don't go through another period of slow growth where uh, too many people are out of work for a long period of time. We talk about Joe Biden as, you know, kind of wanting to have a a third Obama term. Mm -hmm. But I wonder if looking at this team of economic advisors, you see a little bit of a difference there where it's not just a third Obama term. It's more progressive than that. Some of these people are Obama veterans, and they're, they are sort of from the mainstream of the party. But in a lot of ways, the party itself and, you know, the, the mainstream center left economics world has become more progressive. And I think that's embodied in many ways of the uh, in, in Janet Yellen herself, her instinct has always and her main concern has always been about making sure that people can get to work. She's always been a very pro full employment economist. And now Yellen's seat will be even closer to the head of the table. Typically, the Treasury Secretary is sort of the big dog on the economics team. Right. Which is kind of funny because, again, we're talking a very tiny, a very tiny woman, but a very, <laughs> but a very powerful one a um, who knows what she's doing in this case. Today on the show, why you should keep your eye on Janet Yellen, 
She commands respect from both sides of the aisle. The question now is whether that's going to translate into getting things done. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick with us. In the last few days, news has leaked out about Joe Biden's picks to run the Office of Management and Budget, the Council of Economic Advisors. So I asked Jordan, why should we be paying special attention to the Treasury Department? What's going to make Janet Yellen's appointment so important? There are formal reasons and there are informal reasons, right? You know, the formal reasons is that the Treasury Department is fairly powerful. The Treasury Department contains the IRS, and so it has a lot to do with tax policy. It contains the uh, Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, which is essentially a major banking regulator. It's sort of independent of the rest of Treasury, but still it's housed within the Treasury Department. As a Treasury Secretary, she's going to be leading the Financial Stability Oversight Committee, which is sort of like the interagency committee that makes sure that the uh, financial markets don't fall apart. So she has a lot of actual power. She has a lot of actual power, right? But then also just informally, traditionally, the Treasury Secretary, it just is an important member of the cabinet. Can you explain a little bit about who Janet Yellen is? Because I feel like a lot of people may know her name, but they may not be sure why. So can you just give me like Janet Yellen 101? How far are we going back to Brooklyn? <laughs> are, are we like, no, so like, I mean, Janet, you know, Janet Yellen is, she grew up in like Bay Ridge. You know, she was a valid Victorian of her high school. The, the, she grew up like a, a, you know, a liberal Jew from New York. You know, she's a, she's a smart girl from Brooklyn. The smart girl from Brooklyn was both valedictorian and editor-in-chief of her high school newspaper. She studied economics at Brown and then went on to Yale to get her PhD. This was back in 1971. She was the only woman in her doctoral class. But she was legendary. Her notes from Yale were reportedly used for years by other students because they were that thorough. Yellen taught at Harvard, initially as the only female economics professor, a period she described as very lonely and discouraging. When Harvard didn't offer her a path to tenure, she ultimately became a full professor at the University of California at Berkeley and then ventured into government. Yellen started off her career as a professor at Berkeley, right? She was an economist at Berkeley. She was eventually nominated and joined the Federal Reserve Board um, under Bill Clinton. And from there, she got her first really big job in Washington chair of the Council of Economic Advisors. And the CEA is sort of the outpost for, or has traditionally sort of been the outpost for academic economists in the White House. It's like, it, it's the group of tweedy people who produce, like, do a lot of data crunching and produce reports about the direction of the economy and what's happening with it. And they offer advice. And it, it's an important role. But again, it's it's sort of like the faculty lounge in the White House, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's been its traditional role. So that, that was like her, her first starring role in Washington. She eventually became president of the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco. Uh, from there, she went to a, another big Federal Reserve job. She became vice chair of the of the, the Federal Reserve Board of Governors. And then in 2010, Barack Obama uh, nominated her to be the first female chair of the Board of Governors. This was a you know history-making appointment. Um, and at the time, a lot of people said that it looked like she was going to be the most dovish Fed chair in 
essentially post-war American history. What do you mean by that? So when we talk about monetary policy, right, we talk about central bankers, we, we usually talk about hawks and doves. And doves are people who like to keep interest rates low so that employment can go high, and they're not very worried about inflation. And hawks are people who are very worried about inflation and tend to want to raise interest rates quicker. And the the idea was that a, a lot of people had about Yellen was that she was going to be the most dovish person to lead the Fed, um, essentially since you know Mariner Eccles, the guy who the the Fed chair under uh, FDR back in the 1930s. You know, reality was a little bit more complicated, but. Part of her legacy was that she did keep interest rates very low for a long time, and she resisted a lot of calls and a lot of pressure to raise them faster than she did. But she kind of rode this balance board, right? Because in 2014, when she first became the chair of the Federal Reserve, she had this press conference where she talked about raising interest rates, and she sent the stock market into kind of a tailspin. So it it was this interesting back and forth where, I don't know, would you say you could see her learning on the job? I think you can see every Fed chair learning on the job, but she had a very difficult task. You have to kind of bring, kind of mentally transport yourself back to 2014 and even the years before when the Federal Reserve was sort of in just terra nova. It was in uncharted territory trying to nurse the economy back to life after the financial crisis and the onset of the Great Recession. And they had tried all these, you know, unconventional approaches like quantitative easing that really freaked a lot of people out at first or freaked some conservatives out at first. And you had all this political pressure coming from Capitol Hill and from Republicans who were raising the specter of hyperinflation. And that never happened. That never happened. But You even also had some Fed presidents and some members of the Fed board who also were a bit hawkish, who wanted to see interest rates uh, high tire because they were concerned that all this unconventional monetary policy and these efforts to keep rates low in order to um, kind of get the economy back to health were going to cause inflation. And there were a lot of reasons that turned out to be wrong, but these fears were out there. And Janet Yellen's job in a lot of ways was to deal with the hawks on the board and deal with the doves and then deal and then deflect all this political pressure coming at her from the elected officials. It was it was a difficult job. And at the same time, there were a lot of questions about actually what, you know, how much better could the economy even get, right? There were some very smart economists at that time who were arguing that actually by like 2014 we were getting close to full employment because the long-term unemployed were probably never going to go back into the labor force. There are ideas that we were just facing like permanent scarring and that the job market of 2014 or early 2015 was just like as good as things were going to get uh, pretty much. Um, It sounds like you said Yellen saw that and said, no, we can do better. Exactly. And so her approach was to try and find a middle path that would allow the economy to continue healing while you know, assuaging these concerns from the more hawkish members of the Fed, and that would deflect some of these political criticisms that were coming her way. So with Yellen at the helm, the Fed did two related things. It raised interest rates very slowly as a kind of compromise between the hawks and the doves. This low and slow approach, it remains controversial. Some argue it might have caused a recession in manufacturing in 2015, setting the stage for President Trump's election. But the low and slow approach got results. Unemployment dropped, lower than many economists thought possible, without inflation spiking. And by doing that, 
Yellen managed to reposition the Fed as a whole. Her four years running the Fed were a very important transition point where the Fed had traditionally been thought of as an institution that was almost monomaniacally focused on stamping out inflation, at least since the 80s, right? When Paul Volcker made it famous for that, like famously slayed stagflation. She started kind of turning the ship around and saying, no, we have to focus more on the full employment part of our mandate. And that's why she was important at the Fed. While she was at the Fed, Yellen also argued that income inequality was inconsistent with American values. And though her argument was a bit abstract, it made her a target. She was sort of the leader who who began bringing these, you know, these kinds of concerns that initially you were hearing at like Occupy Wall Street, right? <laughs> like, you know, you're hearing, you know, from left wing protesters. She was bringing she was bringing those same concerns now internally into the the power structure of of the most important uh, economic institution in the U.S. government. Um, and she got pushback for that. Like Republicans on the Hill said, you're speaking out of turn. Yeah. Why is it the Fed chair's job to be talking about inequality or, you know, the need for stimulus spending or fiscal policy? Um, and, you know, now today you've got Jerome Powell is sort of, you know, he in a lot of ways, you know, she walked so Jerome Powell could run. Now, he talks very openly about, you know, the need for Congress to you know spend more for stimulus to, uh, on stimulus to or, or relief in order to safeguard, you know, get the economy through COVID. He had the Fed undergo this entire rethink of its monetary policy making framework. The end result of that was to come up with a framework that put even more emphasis on full employment and less emphasis on, on on worrying about inflation. And so again, we can think of that as sort of him him taking what started with Yellen and extending it further. And that's that's part of her legacy too. And I think, you know, so when you talk about what is she going to bring to the treasury, it's like, well, she has, you know, the the th- the things that get progressives animated, things like inequality and full employment animate her. Um and again, you know, she does not always agree 100% with the activist class or with, you know, some writers or, you know, economics commentators about what the exact right course of action is. But in terms of values, they, she, she aligns with, with the progressive wing of the party. Well, you're also laying out that she changes the institutions that she leads. It's like the definition of a leader, really. So what kind of tools will she have at her disposal at Treasury that could address these issues of inequality? You know, she could definitely press for more aggressive uh, banking regulations or, you know, financial market regulations um, at, at, through, with her position at the Treasury, both, you know, kind of through some of her formal powers and through kind of like the bully pulpit aspect of the job. But, you know, when it comes to like policy that's really going to affect inequality and people's abilities to get jobs, a lot of that is going to be come down to the advice she gives Biden, right? And the legislation she works with other members of the administration to craft. Um, so it's I, I don't know if like Janet Yellen alone can use her superpowers to like fix American inequality as Treasury Secretary. I don't think anybody should expect that. But she's just another important, you know, voice who's going to be pushing the administration probably in the right direction. With Janet Yellen, it's like, what is she going to do? Who the hell knows? Because we don't know if Democrats are going to control the Senate. And that Kind of, I, I personally think there's a pretty low likelihood of that, um, but the, you know the entire future of the Biden administration hinges on what happens in Georgia. Uh, what we do know is who she is, and that's why I keep coming back to kind of her set of values, which is sort of 
you know, a, a mainstream version of progressivism where she is very concerned about the, the plight of ordinary Americans, even in when she's trying to look for a middle ground or, you know, take a small C conservative approach to stuff. It always does seem to be with the idea of making ordinary Americans lives uh, better. And so that's, I think, the important thing to keep in mind about her is that's that's where her heart kind of lies. More what next after the break. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The problem President Trump's Treasury Secretary, Steve Mnuchin, was tasked with solving was the COVID-related recession. Mnuchin's been the main negotiator for Trump, with Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell on speed dial, even if he hasn't had a lot of success as of late. So I asked Jordan, is that the role he sees Janet Yellen slotting into? He said, it's hard to tell. Part of the the difficulty of talking about what any member of the Trump of the Biden administration's role will be is that we just don't know what the Biden administration will have the opportunity to do. Right. Like he could be the first Democratic president since Grover Cleveland to take office without a Democratic Congress. Right. It's just like it's it, it, we, it. This might be a situation where there's very little that that the administration can actually pass, um, in which case we're going to be talking about making policy through executive orders and through, you know, regulatory action. It's not necessarily going to be, you know, you know, her p- trying to single handedly pour money into the economy. And I wonder, too, how much President Trump can sort of tie Janet Yellen's hands in this interstitial period we're in now. And we've already seen a little bit of it because it looks like Steve Mnuchin has has moved this $455 billion in aid money that was sitting around out of Yellen's reach. Can you explain a little bit what happened there? Yeah, so this has been one of the wonkier and slightly sinister plot lines. It's been unfolding uh, since the election. When Congress created the CARES Act, it um, helped the Federal Reserve set up these emergency lending programs, right? Some people referred to this as like the corporate bailout. But essentially what it did was it helped the Fed set up these lending facilities that they could lend money or that where they could buy corporate bonds, right? That was what was supposed to help keep the the, the kind of help make sure that large companies could keep borrowing money easily um, as the entire world freaked out about COVID. Um, it also helped set, set up these programs for uh, state and local governments and for kind of small and mid-sized businesses. They called it the Main Street Lending Program. Um, and th- those programs, um, you know, they actually weren't used very much. 
<laughs> which is why we have $455 billion left over still. Yeah, sort of. I mean, basically, the, these programs sort of acted like a security blanket, you know, for the financial markets. You know, the fact that it was there calmed a lot of people down and it helped the market go back to functioning like normal. Um, the, the ones for state and local governments and small businesses didn't get used much, probably because the terms just weren't very good. They weren't very appealing. But they, they were around. And technically, Janet Yellen could restart all of these programs. Once she's confirmed, she would have the power to say, OK, Federal Reserve, let, let's get going with these emergency lending programs again. But Mnuchin is essentially trying to take this money and kind of stow it away in the Treasury's general fund where she can't touch it. There was some talk about maybe you could make these programs more appealing and change their terms a bit so they could be used to kind of give the economy a boost rather than just being the security blanket they had been before. He's, he's sort of attempting to foreclose that possibility. You know, when Yellen was head of the Federal Reserve, you called her the most powerful woman in America. Yeah. I, I guess I wonder now that it looks like she's heading to Treasury. Is that still true? Is it true again? And I guess what I'm getting at is, is Janet Yellen the powerful thing or the position? Uh, she is an extremely powerful woman in America, right? Like that is, there is... <laughs> there is no question. And she, again, has just led one of, you know, she she's led this path-breaking career that um, in the end, she just like comes off as like a mild-mannered academic who just sort of like just has somehow managed to become this person who helps run the world, <laughs> which is sort of amazing. Hmm. Have you met her? No, I have not met Yellen. Uh, unlike the, 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 the Fed beat reporters who actually like, you know, Go to the go to the press conferences and stuff, and you know, chat with the powerful people. I'm usually just behind my computer watching it all unfold. <laughs> if you did meet her, like, I'm curious what you'd ask about. Um, what would I ask about? I would ask about like what she thinks her biggest mistakes have been policy wise. I would also ask uh, if she would. One of my big concerns right now is whether she would ever advise Biden to accept some sort of deficit reduction deal. I think that is like one question kind of hanging over her right now because she, and, and this is, you know, she has said multiple times that the the U.S. national debt is unsustainable. That's our word, unsustainable. Um, and of course, right now, that debt is massive because of all this stimulus that we've put forward. Yeah, it's big, but it's not necessary. It's not really a problem because we, you know, interest rates are really low and we don't pay that much on the debt as a percentage of our GDP because interest rates are so low. Um, and in turn, the fact that interest rates are low suggests that the financial markets don't really see the debt as that big a problem. You know, thankfully, what Yellen has said is that right now she thinks the economy needs you know, needs another jolt. It needs more spending, that we shouldn't be worried. We, we, we need more relief, that we should not be worried about, um, you know, adding a, 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 a few extra dollars to our national credit card. Uh, but I, I would want to know from her whether or not she thinks, you know, in, in three years, in four years, if we're back at full employment, should we be talking about deficit reduction? Personally, I would prefer that we not be. And I, but I, 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 w I would want to know if she's going to, you know, nudge the president in that direction. Jordan Weissman, thank you so much for joining me. It was a pleasure. Jordan Weissman covers the economy for Slate. And that's the show. 
What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Daniel Hewitt, Mary Wilson, and starting today, Davis Land. Welcome, Davis. We're also getting an assist these days from Franny Kelly. We are led by Allison Benedict and Alicia Montgomery. And I'm Mary Harris. You can catch me on Twitter. I'm over at Mary's desk. All right. Thanks for listening. I'll be back here tomorrow. Tomorrow. 